What's up, folks? Um, yeah, so I, I, uh, I hope everybody's doing good. Um, I was going to do this as a blog, but my hand really fucking hurts because I've been typing a lot. I've been writing a lot, so um, I think I'm starting to develop uh, whatever that's called, carpal tunnel or whatever. Or I just have sore muscles, whatever. I'm kind of a hypochondriac, if I'm to be honest. I used to fake being sick all the time. Or I used to actually, honestly, make myself feel sick. Because <laughs> I would be, um, like, uh, so desperate for attention uh, that it kind of coincided with, like, my fear of death. And I, like, would fake being sick all the time or convince myself that I was sick. Super fun times. But anyways, now that I uh, started off this uh, episode as a therapy session, uh, I just kind of wanted to dive into um, kind of something that's been on my mind and I'm sure has been on a lot of people's mind lately. And I hate to talk about this bullshit anymore um, because I, just as much as anyone... Uh, am absolutely sick of hearing about the election um, in the United States, that is, uh, because quite honestly, um, it's very evident that uh, trying to participate within these systems that exist is not the route that is going to see effective change. Um, what that means now, I don't really know. Um, but I just kind of want to talk about the fact that, like, <clears throat> I don't know, like, this election is really a key, uh, insight into truly how the presupposed democracy that exists in the United States is absolutely contradictory to itself. It's, uh, antithetical to itself because, you know, one of the... I would say cornerstones of American ideology, American society, uh, is this idea of freedom, this freedom to choose our leaders through this, uh, archaic voting system that we have. Um, and this supposedly is what makes us a democracy. And, uh, we'll, we'll kind of talk about later, uh, in the episode what kind of is problematic about this, but it's just, uh, uh, this time right now is definitely a mask off moment for precisely how America and other capitalist, uh, settler colonial states, uh, truly operate and how they've always truly operated. Uh, but yeah, so let's go ahead and jump right into that. But first, of course, you already know we gotta hit it with some fat fucking intro music. Basically, what I am here to talk about today is uh, how blatantly obvious the contradictions within uh, the supposed American democracy, uh, how, how blatantly 
obvious they have been made to be. And honestly, my frustration with the fact that they are so out in the open, so masked off, if you will, and yet so much of this country is calling for people to vote for Joe Biden, a person who will literally just continue exactly how things are. The only difference between Donald Trump and Joe Biden is Joe Biden certainly will not be the one making the decisions and pulling the levers. Whereas Donald Trump, to some extent, I understand that he's you know, very manipulative or very easily manipulated and coerced because he doesn't really have any kind of opinion because he's never had to. Um, so I understand that. But to also, along with that, he is someone who exists solely uh, in order to prove that he's not a loser. Uh, like, basically, his entire shtick is trying to show how much of, like, a hashtag winner he really is. I mean, he had a, a whole reality show dedicated, basically, to this one moment where he would just take someone who's, like, you know, like a struggling single mother of three children who just, you know, is having a hard month. She's really trying her best. Her numbers aren't coming through. Like, she's just not delivering. She's asked, you know, for a little bit of leeway just because, you know, she is doing so poorly at home. And, you know, her dad's uh, dementia is getting bad and all this stuff. And then he just brings her into his office. And, of course, she knows why she's there. She, Everybody who worked for him watched the TV show, I'm sure. But she comes into the office, and she's, like, already about to cry. You can tell. And then he just looks at her, and he just goes, You fired. And, like, then he just comes everywhere. Because you know that's precisely why he's doing that. Because he gets off on being, like, powerful. But I am 100% sure, also, that Donald Trump is totally into getting dominated. Like... He definitely goes to, like, dominatrix places. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm not. So, um, yeah, so speaking of uh, not being wrong about things, uh, one thing that uh, Karl Marx surely wasn't wrong about, and I know that for some of my listeners who are, like, have been listening for a while, it might be weird how much I've been talking about Marx, but, like, super into Marxism right now, and I think, honestly, I am getting to a point where I might label myself as a Marxist, but I have to continue uh, listening to some podcasts, reading theory and stuff like that, and really coming to my own conclusions, but that's kind of the way I'm leaning. Um, <clears throat> but one thing that Karl Marx surely did not get wrong was his understanding that, uh, um, how do I want to say this? Basically, his understanding of the cognitive dissonance that would come with this continuation of uh, what we now know as capitalism. Um, he saw the complete and utter separation of people from one another through the commodification of, you know, just about everything up until where we are now, which is the commodification of people's lives. Um, 
to say that people have to work, you know, 60-70% of their lives just to afford a living and then many people retire with no real safety net, no savings, no anything like that unless they're lucky. And uh, if you don't work like a state job or like a, a, a good job, you might not even get a pension. So you got to just live on Social Security, which isn't even a guaranteed right within the United States. So that's terrifying. Um, but he, he predicted this through his understanding of uh, commodity fetishism um, and also the understanding that the production of commodities is precisely what um you know created or continued social relations but when you go through the uh automation process and the continuation of adding new technologies to the uh production or the manufacturing part of things you slowly but surely separate uh people from one another and certainly people from the commodity uh that you are purchasing you know there was a time where we <laughs> you know the way that we would exchange things was you were a you know a shoemaker maybe and you made a few extra shoes so you traded with the guy next door who was uh maybe i don't know a woodworker and he would give you maybe a small dresser or a, a nice chair maybe uh, and you guys would trade with your, your surplus, your surplus value, um, the things that you didn't need because there was a time where we only produced things based off of the needs of not only ourselves, but, you know, at one point our society, you know, once we kind of coalesced into this government style that we now know as like liberalism, or I guess really once we had true urbanization, um, <coughs> So, this, uh, this fetishizing of the free market economy, as it were, um, that we still see to this day, but really, really saw uh, the beginning of during Marx's time, was something that Marx really noted as being dangerous, because he understood that this was going to continue to feed into precisely what capitalism had at its core, which was a uh, exploitative um, uh, exploitative pattern, I guess you would say. Um, at its core, capitalism is exploitative because what is capitalism? It's the, you know, when the means of production are owned by a private group of entities, you know what I mean, one way or another, whether it's small businesses, what have you. Um, and this, of course, can lead to uh, channeling of huge percentages of the overall uh, uh, money in circulation within a nation to a very small few amount of people. And this takes the not only the power away from the people, but it honestly takes people away from people because now, you know, you got places like Walmart where we go into Walmart, we buy maybe some groceries, a few t-shirts, maybe our, you know, 
nephew or niece's birthday present. Maybe we need uh, car window wipes, what have you. We don't talk to anyone really. Maybe we ask a, a you know, a, a worker where something is. Um, we go into the line. We don't talk to anybody in the line. We shoot the shit with the cashier like we all know we're supposed to. Follow our norms like good little boys and girls. Um, and non-binary folks as well. Uh, and, uh, we, um, we, like, you know, have no true interactions. We have no true connections with one another. And that is a problem because that deteriorates the very, uh, central point of what a, a community, a civilization like ours is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a democracy. Well, nobody fucking talks to anybody then how democratic can your society be? You're not having discussion between your citizens. You're not having communication, social relations being formed between your, your citizens. So, I mean, how can you call that a, a democracy? Um, and also what this does, and we see uh, it, whether it's on accident or on purpose, who knows, um, we see this being capitalized on, and that is the separation of the working class from one another um we begin to see these divides within the working class which obviously takes away any and all bargaining chips that we have or really any true leverage that we have because what i think a lot of uh people who would call themselves liberals or progressives don't really understand is that as as nice as the idea that electoralism means that you're going to elect someone into office who is going to be a true representation of what you want and what the people want and is going to, you know, vote with what the people want on everything, do everything that the people want, you know, do all that. But as we know and we can see by literally just watching the news, that's not how this shit works. So, we have to begin to understand that we have to do more than just vote for people and hope and pray that if we sign enough, you know, uh, petitions or raise enough GoFundMes for things like that politicians will listen to us. But if you look at things like the Civil Rights Movement with uh, Martin Luther King Jr., what ultimately got things like the Civil Rights Act passed was the organizing power that Martin Luther King had and everybody who was a part of the Civil Rights Movement. The uh, political leverage that they had, the power that they had that they could levy against uh, Lyndon B. Johnson and uh, use as a way to influence him into passing the Civil Rights, Move, uh, Civil Rights Act. Um, and so what we need to really come to terms with in this country is that the purpose of electoralism is, or I should say the, the use of electoralism is non-existent when you don't have that electoral or that, uh, political power. If you have a disorganized working class, if you have a disorganized citizenry who can't, you know, doesn't get along, is separated based off of things like race, gender, income, uh, sexuality, 
you know, what have you, um, that cannot amass a movement against, you know, some kind of political decision being made by our, our government or, um, you know, maybe some kind of war we're going to. If we don't have that organizing power, then the whole point of electoralism is pointless because you're supposed to elect people who will represent you and then they are to listen to the wants and needs of the people. Uh, but if one of them say, like, I don't know, uh, Mitch McConnell, Nancy Pelosi, literally everyone in the Senate, except for, like, maybe 15 people, um, our president, his entire administration, uh, Joe Biden, his entire group there, um, if you give them the power through electoralism, but you don't have the organizing power to, you know, fight against a decision that they make that, you know, the general public doesn't agree with, um, then it doesn't matter who you elect, because at the end of the day, you're going to elect someone who ultimately can do whatever they want. Um, I mean, not for nothing, but in 2016, Hillary Clinton got the popular vote. Um, Donald Trump won through the Electoral College. A lot of people supposedly were very mad. Did they do anything? No. So, the you know, this just shows uh, the Republicans again. I mean, that's not the first time. It's just a very recent example that we can look to and remember. Um, this shows the Republicans and really also the Democrats that they can do what they want and absolutely nothing will happen. You know, there was a time where if governments made decisions that the people were not a fan of, they got killed. Uh, Y'all heard of the French Revolution? Um, like, and not for nothing, but that's how our country formed, was our, we had no true representation in the government. Uh, we were getting taxed to shit. We didn't have any kind of power. We wanted to basically be our own thing and be separate from England. Um, because we began to be able to trade and uh, consume and amass wealth that otherwise would have had been given to the king one way or another, or otherwise, you know, we wouldn't have had the status in England in order to amass that wealth. Um, and we didn't want to go back to the, the way things were. So, American Revolution, uh, that shit doesn't happen anymore. Um, we're in a 19-year-long war that uh, originally had a, you know, a huge uh, yes vote from the people because we're full of uh, very scared, very alienated people who allow that feeling of isolation and fear to come out in things such as racism against people from the Middle East. Um, and they see absolutely nothing of consequence from the decisions that are made by the U.S. government until it affects them personally. I mean, we have been actively bombing the Middle East for longer than the we've been in the Iraq war, but even still, like, we've been basically mur actively murdering people for 19 years in the Middle East. Um, and a lot of Americans, I'd say, even still now in my general area, where it's very conservative, 
they'd probably still be in favor of the war unless um unless they're you know they had children that were killed their family members or loved ones you know and that's kind of what i was going with is like this shit doesn't matter to people um the actions that the united states government takes abroad uh that shit doesn't matter to people until it affects them and that is a true uh you know shot into the psyche of the general american public and because of that it's a direct mirror of the american government itself and that is a you know we love our laissez-faire economics but we also have a laissez-faire uh political sphere in this country as well because we all don't pay attention until like october and then we go vote and if we vote for the wrong person we're like ah shit well we'll we'll get it next time or if we voted for the right person maybe we might say like told you so to some of our friends whereas now you have trump uh supporters running uh a a biden and kamala harris off the road um to stop them from going to some kind of rally thing i think that's what happened um and a lot of Trump's supporters in different places, especially in the uh, the uh, Midwest, places like um, in the South, and I think I saw some stuff from Georgia. I saw some stuff from, I want to say, Illinois, which, and no, whatever. I saw some videos of like Trump supporters blocking people from voting or intimidating people, but because they were far enough away from where the actual polls were being done, uh, it wasn't considered voter intimidation. Um, I don't really know how that law works, but I'm sure it's written extremely vaguely. Um, so yeah, you, you have this, you have this conception, this idea in this country of democracy. And it's, it's, you know, not for nothing. It's a, it's a lovely thought. It's a lovely idea and it's a lovely practice when done. Um, but what we have in this country right now is surely not democracy. And whether or not you agree with that doesn't ultimately matter to me, (laughs) if I'm honest. Uh, I'm just simply pointing out the things that I, I know to be true. You don't have to agree with them. Um, you know what I'm saying? But like, um, not for nothing, but what we stake our democracy on is our ability to have a voice in politics. You know, I can go and vote for my mayor. I can go and vote for my local comptroller. I can go and vote for my, my ward's city council person. I can go vote for the president. I can go vote for our congressperson. Uh, our Senate representative, like, I can vote for this shit. But, I mean, just to simply point out a very easily targeted contradiction in this conception of democracy that we tout in this country, which of us are deciding which people we vote between? By that I mean, you know, say in my district where I'm voting, I got Claudia Tenney and Anthony Brindisi. And then, of course, I think I got, like, four or five other options on the ballot. And then I think I got, like, three or four write-in options. 
Um, but ultimately, most people will probably vote between Anthony Brindisi or Claudia Tenney if they're going to vote. You know what I'm saying? Um, who fucking decided that we want either of them to be in charge? I surely didn't pick either one of them. You know what I'm saying? And so I know that a lot of people will say, well, that's not how... The system, that's not how our system works. Okay, well then your system is not a democracy. Plain and simple. Um, another way in which we, we tout this uh, idea of like liberty and freedom, uh, which has been pointed out in this book that I'm reading uh, called um, Why Marx Was Right, uh, which I really don't know how to judge this. It seems like it's like being oddly, like, uh, heavily critical of Marx in ways that doesn't really make sense because surely Marxism, same way as any philosophy, is open to critique and should be critiqued because that is how philosophy becomes formed into, you know, purer ideas and conceptions is by, you know, discarding the things that do not hold true and trying to replace them with things that do. That is the whole purpose of philosophy. Um, but uh, it, it kind of seems like it's just like nitpicking shit. So I, I don't know. It, it Honestly, it seems like it's an anarchist who might have written it, which I'll have to look that up. But uh, it seems like it's an anarchist who's like staunchly anti-communist, which... I'm not even going to get into that, but, um, I don't, I don't have the education to get into that. I don't have the understanding. So don't, don't get mad at me for that comment there. Um, where was I going with this? Um, God damn it. I got to stop smoking before these fucking episodes. Shit. Um, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, like, not... But another way that we tout freedom in this country is, like, this this understanding of, like, freedom of choice. Of, like, uh, you know, for example, in my area, I drive down a street. There's, like, 14 fucking car dealerships. I can go to any one of them. I can buy a car between, you know, Mazda, Acura, Chevy, Ford, Dodge, what whatever, you know, brand uh, you want to buy. I have all those options, and then within those brands, I have all these different makes and models and stuff like that, you know. So, that right there is touted as some form of freedom because of capitalism, because now we have all these choices to make. We, you know, are free to choose between, say, what kind of car we want to drive, or what kind of food we want to eat, what kind of, uh brand sneaker we want to wear or shoe or boot you know what i'm saying and you know because capitalism produces all these things and we have all these choices well then capitalism is good and it's it's a open and free market because um you know you have all these choices but i mean ultimately uh the same way as like saying that we have the choice in the election uh, it's, it's kind of like saying, and I said this on the phone talking to my grandma, it's like saying, like, all right, here's the deal. 
I'm gonna allow you to eat for free for the rest of your life, right? I got two options for you. You can pick between these two foods for the rest of your life. You got a bowl with water and a little bit of dirt mixed into it, all right? And then you got expired uh, canned green beans, uncooked. But you're free to choose. Like, I know that's an extreme example, um, and y'all can nitpick that if you want, but, like, that that's essentially what the understanding of electoralism in this country is, and also this understanding of freedom of choice, because ultimately, you're choosing be between things that otherwise, if given the option, you would probably rather not choose between. I mean, when you're talking about things like, say, food, I mean, we got all these different fast food places, we got all these supermarkets we can get food from, we got all these, you know, frozen foods, all these processed foods, all these canned foods, like, you know, all this super easy, ready-to-eat stuff, right? And you can eat, if you can afford it, and any of these options that you want. However, 80% of them probably have little to no nutritional value whatsoever. Uh, and I'm not saying that to be hyperbolic. I'm saying that because it's true, because a lot of this processed shit that we all eat is absolute garbage, and none of us should be consuming it. But for a lot of us, including myself, it's really all we can afford and also, I mean, not for nothing, I work seven days a week. It's all I have time to eat. Um, so, yeah, we have the freedom of choice to choose between all these garbage food places. But none of them exist to meet uh, the needs of the people. Because the needs of the people being met when it comes to food would be affordable, nutritious food. Um... That would just make sense because as a people, if we want to survive and live healthily and happy lives, you would think we would want to be able to eat healthy uh, at a moderately affordable rate. Um, you know, and I'm not trying to be extreme here or anything and say like, oh, all these grocery prices are just far too expensive. Um, but they are. Um, they're at least more expensive than the processed bullshit. And so for a lot of people who, you know, within capitalism have to pay to exist, a lot of people who aren't making as much money as others and therefore don't have as much money left over after they pay all their bills they need to exist this month, um, they don't have as much money to get things like food afterwards, you know, and surely there's, you know, social programs and there's government assistance and stuff like that, but A, that's not solving the problem, that's mitigating it, that would be like if you, you know, got COVID and a doctor was like, you know, just take, just take like a Benadryl, like you, you probably won't even feel that bad, and it's like, alright, but I still have a virus that's gonna kill me, and it's like, yeah, but like, 
you take the Benadryl, like, you probably won't even think about it. Like, that's essentially what we're doing. And so, like, I, I, I hate to be, um, I don't know, miserable, I guess. I mean, a lot of people have called me miserable. My grandma thinks that I'm miserable because I talk about this shit all the time. And I tried to explain to her, like, well, if you want positive change, you have to point out what's wrong with society and what needs to be changed. But she's just, like, too in love with Jesus for her own good. Like, no no shade, but, like, to have these conversations. Although, not to go off on a tangent here, although I'm quite sure I most definitely will go off on a tangent. The other day I was talking on the phone with my grandma about how, like, um... Like, if Jesus was here, he would be super into, like, liberation movements in places like South America and Africa. Because, like, I mean, uh, there was an episode of Rev Left Radio talking about liberation theology. But, like, you know, Jesus said things such as, like, you know, you leave the 99 sheep for the one lost one. Uh, You're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. You're supposed to... Um, want to see a better world, a better life for, you know, your fellow children of Christ. Um, and so if Jesus was here, a lot of people uh, conceptualize that uh, he would be somewhat of a socialist, probably a democratic, so probably like Bernie. Um, but like, like Jesus went into the marketplace outside the temple and, like, fucking flipped tables and, like, broke shit that people had made and, like, just destroyed it because he felt it was desecrating the holy place. But, I mean, not for nothing. That's, like, it's pretty fire. Could you imagine walking into Walmart and just, like, destroying shit and being, like, listen, there's a church right down the street. This is a holy place. (laughs) Oh, God. You'd probably get crucified, but um, alrighty, back to the point. Um, <laughs> oh my fucking god! So like um, yeah. So basically, I say all this to say this. Um, talking with my buddy Matt, who um, he was on the show a couple podcasts ago he talked about um why i should be a supporter of capitalism um i messaged him and i asked him who he was voting for and he was like uh duh biden and i was like yeah it's kind of a hard choice you know i know myself included a lot of people are like really struggling with what to do because they don't feel that either candidate really supports like their ideals um And he was like, um, you know, then I don't understand how you can, you know, say that you care about indigenous people, black people, Latino people, LGBTQ plus community people. Like, if you're not even going to vote for the person who is not advocating for the removal of their rights, which I will say based, um, certainly something that has been on the back of my mind. Um, I know a lot of people take issue with this on the left, but, like, not for nothing. If we're simply voting for the sake of, like, saving lives, 
Joe Biden is the better candidate if you're voting solely for the sake of saving life. Uh, surely other lives will be lost um, by voting Biden because we'll probably eventually go to war or like you'll see a lot of police brutality continue or like, you know, awful health care policies that don't actually structurally change anything, more tax breaks for the rich, that's just going to see a bunch of people dying. Um, but, I mean, it's hard to weigh, like, lives like that, because on the other end of things, like, you got Trump, then you got, you know, he's got Amy Coney Barrett in the courts now, who's trying to strike down things like uh, gay marriage, uh, abortion, things like that. Who, you know, not for nothing, again, Trump is pretty malleable, so he, he'll go along with that. He's been staunchly uh, pro-life his entire, you know, presidential and political campaign. Or career, should I say. Um, so he'll probably go along with it. Joe Biden, I don't really know. I mean, I think he said that he's pro-abortion, but like... Who, who knows? You know, like, not for nothing, but Joe Biden is literally almost the same age and the same person as Donald Trump. Except the only difference is Donald Trump is actually going to be pulling the strings, whereas Donald er, uh, whereas Joe Biden's going to get his strings pulled. Um, so it, it, it's hard to say what candidate is going to be better, and that's kind of my struggle. But Matt, like is someone who, and not for not, nothing, again, base, like, he has a point, for sure, um, I can't disagree with him entirely, um, but at the same time, like, should we not, as a country who promotes itself as being the land of the free, who promotes itself as being a true democracy, who promotes itself as being, you know, governed by the will of the people, um, can we not want more than just the bare minimum? Can we not expect more than just the bare minimum? Again, Joe Biden really, at the end of the day, offers absolutely nothing more than Donald Trump does, other than he is not staunchly, like, in stride trying to take away human rights, as far as I know. Uh, it probably wouldn't be a long shot, but, like, I don't know, it, it's hard because, like, then again, even with, and I've said this for a while, even with Donald Trump, not for nothing, but, like, we know what a Donald Trump presidency will be, and to some extent, like, the Democrats are gonna take the House, they're gonna take the Senate, um, we're gonna have a majority, so we're going to have some kind of power. We're not going to have the courts, but quite honestly, fuck the courts. Um, the courts are bullshit. Uh, they're an archaic system that hasn't worked since, I don't know, ever. Um, and so those should totally be abolished, and we shouldn't even worry about trying to get the fucking majority in there. Or maybe we should. What the fuck do I know? But, like, um... I just feel like at least with Donald Trump not for nothing we know what he's gonna do we can prepare for it we can mitigate with it to some extent basically honestly if we just turn if we just delete Twitter from Donald Trump's phone and just tell him like no act 
Twitter actually got, um, it, it actually, it, it never existed. Or actually, I guess you could be like, um, Twitter was owned by the same company that owned TikTok, and you wanted to ban them, so we had to ban them, and now TikTok, or now Twitter doesn't exist anymore. Um, I feel like if we did that, quite honestly, Donald Trump would cease to exist. He would just be like, you remember that meme of Joe Biden looking out the window in the Oval Office, just looking like, like, at the grass, I guess, just like, wow, I really love deporting Mexican people. I love it so much. Um, uh, I, I feel like Donald Trump would just be, just like, dead just dead brain staring out out that very same window but like kind of to the right so you can only like kind of see the left side of his face peeking out and like his hair is like quite obviously messed up it looks like boris johnson and he's just kind of peeking around the corner and you're like well who's creeping over there you know um i feel like that's basically that all that that would be all that donald trump would be uh would, that's all he would succumb to if we just deleted Twitter off his phone and told him it didn't exist anymore. Um, so on a more serious note here, um, not to like really shift gears super hard here, but we're going to completely avoid a segue because I uh, forgot that I haven't talked about this yet. So um, I don't know if y'all heard, I did an episode, we talked about how Bolivia, Moss Party won the election, uh, Luis Arce is now the president of Bolivia, they are, uh, as far as I know, they are seeking charges against the de facto government uh, within the parliament, um, people such as Janine Añez and Camacho are going to be facing charges for the murders that were committed by the military and the police. Uh, after the reign of terror that kind of followed uh, last year's um, uh, insurrection within Bolivia. Um, but uh, another thing that happened there is a union leader by the name of uh, Orlando, and uh, you know, excuse my butchering of this, but Guterres. Um, who was beaten, like, senseless by a group of, like, right-wing fash, uh, like, people. And then he was rushed to the hospital, who, where he spent, I believe, three days in critical condition and ultimately passed away. Um, he was a huge advocate within the uh, unions within Bolivia, uh, specifically the miners' union. Um, which the name is escaping me right now, and my mic is positioned directly on my keyboard, so I can't look. At, oh, I have my phone. Man, that's gonna be dead space, and I don't really feel like editing this podcast. So, like, um, I mean, you can look up the name of the union if you want, or maybe I'll add it into the show notes. But like, so he was a huge advocate for workers' rights in Bolivia. Which, if you know anything about Bolivia, uh, Evo Morales and the Moss Party, that was essentially one of their key characteristics, was workers' rights, workers' power, and really a true, like, movement towards socialism. Um, that is precisely what Moss stands for. Um, and so, 
you saw a huge uh, coup, you know, against this very uh, party this time last year, uh, which got us the interim president that was uh, Janine Añez uh, and her cohorts who were extremely far... Well, I, I guess Camacho isn't necessarily the furthest right within Bolivia. He's definitely up there, but, like, um, you know, you got your far-right evangelical Christians like Camacho um, and then other people in her uh, sphere who were extremely anti-indigenous. Initially, they claimed that, like, the indigenous people's... Uh, religious practices were satanic and uh, unlawful, and they tried to ban them. They went into, you know, indigenous communities and beat people to shit, arrested them, disappeared them. Uh, in some places, they actually killed them, uh, ransacked their homes, stuff like that. Um, one of the, you know, really controversial, and I use that term uh, very inappropriately, but, like, one of the most awful things that happened after the uh, interim president, Anya, announced herself as just that um, was they burned the Wipala. Um, I believe they did it at the parliament building in La Paz, um, which the Wipala, for those of you who don't know, that is the indigenous flag within Bolivia. Um, which uh, Evo Morales officially added to the country's flag. Um, a lot of military personnel and police officers had a patch with the Wipala on uh, their uniform, which many reported seeing uh, police and military personnel, you know, cut off with knives or tear off um, and throw on the ground and stomp or burn or whatever after... Uh, it was announced that uh, Anya's had, in fact, uh, seized power. Um, so this, of course, is a country that is in crisis right now. We see the reactionary powers that are uh, Janine Anya's, Camacho, uh, and those against the movement towards socialism. And then you have the radical party that is the movement towards socialism with people such as uh, Evo Morales, Luis Arce, um, and many other advocates such as uh, Orlando Guiteras, uh rest in peace. Um, and also, if, if you didn't listen to my episode or you haven't been pay paying attention to Bolivia or you just really don't know what's going on... Um, they just had an election which saw a 55.1% majority vote for the MAS party that uh, Evo Morales was a part of. Uh, this time last year, that party was accused of uh, committing uh, voter fraud and uh, fraud making fraudulent the election. And so Evo Morales was ousted by the military. He was uh, sent into exile, first in Mexico and now in Argentina, where he resides. Um, but he is destined to come back, and we also saw the, you know, Moss Party come back into power, which, not for nothing, uh, proves effectively that the reason why the supposed coup uh, that wasn't a coup happened last year, which was that the people did not want Evo Morales anymore, proves it isn't true, because if within a year you can go from, uh, you know, an entire country want to overthrow you because you're a dictator to over 55% of the country 
in the first round of vote counting, uh, voted for that very same party. I don't really know how one could, you know, pull that kind of sorcery. But, um, so that happened and that's awful. Um, and a lot of shit is happening around the world. Um, a couple weeks back I covered what was going on in Belarus, um, you're seeing huge movement there against the uh, dictator whose name is slipping my mind, um, and again with the microphone on the keyboard thing, um, but he has served as the longest uh, serving leader within the European Union um, uh, because he is a dictator. Uh, and the main opponents against him had to flee for their safety as well as, you know, having their family flee, but they are still trying to run a campaign against him, uh, outside of the country. Um, in the voting, it was reported by those running against him that they had seen a pretty massive or wide margin of themselves winning in a lot of their own, you know, vote counting facilities, whereas... Uh, the dictator uh, announced himself as winning and basically uh, basically what happened was they shut down the internet I think for like 24 hours like it just shit the bed and then the next morning when it came or the next day when it came on they were like oh yeah he won again and then they were like alright bye and then they just you know didn't pursue any further information uh, you got a lot of shit happening in Iran with workers rights um Especially during COVID, where a lot of people in the Middle East do to things such as the United States bombing the shit out of them for uh, almost two decades. Um, as well as going in and destabilizing their economy mul multiple times over. So they're kind of, you know, working with what they got right now. Uh, so a lot of people are dealing with things such as homelessness, you know, food scarcity, things of that nature. Joblessness. Joblessness. Um, and advocating for things such as a living wage, which, uh, believe it or not, uh, people in the United States are also advocating for. Um, if that seems uh, far-fetched to you, well, uh, you probably are lucky enough to not have to struggle with that. Shout out Matt. Um, if you do not understand the problems that income inequality and a lack of a federally mandated livable wage being paid to all full-time employees, um, and also, honestly, part-time employees, anyone who labors should be able to afford their bills. Um, because we don't have those things in this country, you have people such as you know myself and pe members of my family who, uh, you know, only make enough money really to pay their bills and then that's that like and you know to some they might say well you're lucky enough to pay your bills there's people who can't afford to pay their bills first of all yeah that shouldn't be a thing second of all yeah I can pay my bills but you know I feel as if uh, we're at a point in time at, in 2020 where we as citizens of the wealthiest country that exists right now can, you know, maybe ask for more than just enough to survive. Um, I would like to maybe be able to go, um, you know, do things that I enjoy uh, 
in order to, you know, relax and enjoy my life rather than worrying about, oh, uh, you know, if I take a day off and I go to the park, I'm going to spend money and I need that money for this, that, and the other thing. And like, you know, if I spend this money, then I got to take money out of the bank. Then I have less money at the end of the month when I got to pay this bill. So I got to, you know, cut costs here. I would like to not have to do that, you know? And I feel as if, and, you know, disagree with me if you want, uh, but I feel as if, like, that's not really that crazy of a thing to ask for. Um, again, wealthiest nation in the world. We spend 700 and something billion dollars a year annually fucking on the military. Uh, 500-something billion dollars on the worst, worst healthcare system imaginable billions more on education funds that normally just go to private institution to fund things like sports. Uh, and so you have all these things uh, that we're spending money on, and then we make claims like, oh no, we can't erase student debt. Really, if you took literally 1% of the combined uh, federal budget for the military a year, 1%, about $7 billion, I'm pretty sure that would completely wipe all of the student debt that exists, or at least put a huge chunk of damage into it within the United States. And that would free up a lot of money, which therein would be given back in, you know, and stimulate the economy by means of consumption and exchange, which therein will help the economy. But because we cannot think uh, about the world as a moving object, we think about the world and things like the economy like a stagnant thing that we can isolate and point at and look at and, you know, say like, oh, well, when we do this, we'll make enough money and then things will be all right. You can't do that with things like an economy, things like an, a society, like those things don't operate that way. Um, and that is why I think that I am slowly but surely, uh, and this of course is a parody to the CIA or FBI agent that ultimately will be showing up at my door one of these days and arresting me. Uh, I'm totally joking here because this would be such a stupid thing to say, but I'm like kind of sort of becoming a Marxist. Ha ha. So funny. Um, because the cool thing that I'm beginning to understand about Marxism, which I'm also beginning to understand not everyone also supports as a belief, or theory rather, but is the idea that Marxism is different from other political philosophies because it in fact is also, and really specifically, more so a science rather than a, a political philosophy. Because ultimately, things such as uh, historical dialectics um, is supposed to be a science in which you use to apply to not only the past in order to learn from the past, but also your current moment in order to understand how certain forces influence things in order to create the situation in which you are currently presiding. We here in places like America do not do that. I mean, not for nothing, but our biggest election is this election every four years for the president. And we have our president electees telling us things like, oh, I'm going to bring millions of 
jobs back to America, or we're going to, you know, get a vaccine, or we're going to fix the healthcare crisis. Like, the way that politics and government works in this country does not happen like that. One president to another does not normally, although it can if they truly wanted to, um, which they don't, but it does not normally need lead to that much structural change. It could if through electoralism, the people were able to elect officials who represented them, and then in order to continue to get them to represent it, represent them could organize and form a large enough coalition that was politically educated in order to wink wink nudge nudge influence them in order to pass laws and do things that are ultimately going to benefit the people but that again the same way as marxism is a science the idea of you know, representation within bourgeois politics as well as things such as socialism are not meant to be utopian. Things such as representatives within the government uh, for the people are not the end-all be-all. They are a transition. They are a reform. We have to, you know, and I know a lot of people are purists or what uh, Engels would call utopianists, I believe. Um, I know a lot of people fall under that realm, and for good reason. I mean, when we here in America read theory, we're reading it as this abstract concept, not really as like a thing to be applied to the world that we're living in. Because, not for nothing, but a lot of us, even if we struggle here in the United States, which I am not making light of people's situation for sure, but a lot of people such as myself who would say that they struggle within the United States, but are honestly pretty privileged compared to a lot of other places in the world, uh, it's easy to think about these things in the abstract and be purists or, you know, think of things in realms of utopias uh, rather than thinking of things as a science in order to be applied to a specific place in time where they are being used and use, you know, that specific place in time to manipulate the systems and the institutions in a way that will ultimately benefit the people, but not being dogmatic about it, because that's honestly fucking stupid. <clears throat> but so, socialism, again, and these things like representation within, like, the U.S. government, um, those are things that are to be used as tools and then discarded. They are not the end-all, be-all. You know, having people, you know, if we had a Bernie Sanders presidency, would all the people who call themselves socialists and communists just, you know, put our, uh, you know, our patches and our communist manifestos and our, uh, yeah, the manifesto, as Trump calls it. You're with Bernie on the manifesto, he says. Um, you know, we're, we're not all just going to put our books down and just be like, all right, I guess I'll go back to my job now. Uh, because that's not the point. You know, people like Bernie Sanders, people like AOC, Rashida Tlaib, Ilan Omar, like, the, you know, all these progressive folks. As much as, like, you know, people might think they're cool and, like, you know, AOC plays Among Us, so she's, like, Among Us. Um, and AOC is cool. Shouts out, AOC. Uh, I mean, I know you're probably totally listening to this. Hit me up later. Maybe we can play Among Us. Uh, 
cool if you were my friend, honestly, because then I'd probably totally get more views on this podcast. But um, just like that, me making AOC a tool of my podcast, we are to make representatives of the, you know, the people within government uh, tools of the people. Until ultimately, as Mark says, and I am not advocating for any illegal activity, because again, that would be crazy. Um, but as Mark says, we will get what is called a proletariat dictatorship, which, ah, dictatorship, oh, here comes the USSR, uh, sound in the background, you know, you know how it goes, I actually don't, um, but I can hear it in my head, but I can't sing it, um, I love that my <laughs> interpretation was just two hums, like, uh, uh. Like, wow, Josh, you are a musical genius. But uh, back on the subject, um, this idea that, like, you know, we could get people like Bernie Sanders or AOC in the government, and then, you know, now that they're in government and they're, like, you know, cool and they advocate for things like, I don't know, human fucking rights, um, we just can, like, forget about politics and we... We, we can go back to not even talking about this shit. We can go back to pretending that, like, Bush was just a stupid cowboy, even though we knew he was an oil oligarch who was actively making strides even before he was the president towards a war in the Middle East. Um, God damn it. I probably sound like some a crazy person to some people. Whatever. Um... <laughs> Um, yeah, so, like, that's the whole point of government, of politics, is you're gonna make your way to a proletariat dictatorship, which, again, ooh, we don't like that D word, dictatorship, but what Karl Marx essentially means by this is that you will see an erasure of it, precisely what it would be to be a dictatorship through the existence of a proletariat dictatorship, because... What a dictatorship would be in our conception of it now would be, you know, one person or maybe one uh, group presiding over the entire political and government sphere of a nation and, you know, putting down any rises against it or any opposition to it. Whereas what the proletariat dictatorship would be would be the working class people, you know, the people who have no voice being the people in charge. And therefore, you know, if you are of the working class, you probably will care what the working class wants because, I mean, not for nothing, but you make a decision, it's probably going to affect you too, um, which we do not see in government today, which is precisely why it's not a democracy. I mean, when Donald Trump or Nancy Pelosi, or Mitch McConnell, or whoever, you know, passes a law, or does an executive order, or does whatever that fucks all of our lives, like, you know, not passing a second stimulus bill, ultimately, it's just politics to them, because they can say, well, oh, the Democrats don't want to play ball, or the Republicans don't want to play ball, meanwhile, there's people, you know, literally starving, or you know, who have died from the virus because they didn't have proper medical care. Um, 
people who have been out without a job for months with no real true government assistance um, and that is just being normalized um, one thing uh, to close up here that I think we need to really wrestle with as uh, citizens of the United States or people watching what's going on in the United States is that what people like Donald Trump, Mitch McConnell, uh, and really all the ruling class are doing, this idea of normalizing existing with coronavirus, um, that is a disgusting misuse of power. Um, and precisely what a lot of people who call themselves patriots would be staunchly against if they actually understood what the fuck was going on around them. Because what that is, is that is politics becoming a part of government. And if you know anything about the way our government is supposed to be structured, is politics are supposed to be put aside once you become an elected official. You are now the voice of the people. Your politics, your beliefs, your political leanings, your uh, ideas, your understanding of things have no place at the table for conversation or decision making. Because again, you are to be a voice of the people. And to those of us who are against things like socialism, things like communism, or really anything involved in the sphere of leftism, uh, who, you know, advocate for things like a true democracy, guess what? That shit's not going to happen under capitalism. It is literally a direct contradiction. It is a antithetical thing to exactly what capitalism presupposes. Um, this idea of democracy within capitalism is a fool's errand and something that is uh, force-fed to us from the day we are born by the very people who don't want you to understand that it's bullshit. Uh, if you're still not with me, that's fine. Maybe I'll get there one day. But uh, that's that's where I'm going to end things. Uh, I want to go the fuck to bed. Um, so... If you're still listening to this, thank you very much. I appreciate you. Uh, go ahead and, if you like this, uh, give a listen to some of my other stuff. Uh, um, and if you wouldn't mind, guys, uh, uh, going on my like different streaming platforms, you know, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, you know, all these places, and like giving me a rating and like leaving a comment because it it actually helps boost like my um, overall. Uh, reach and also uh, it would make me feel good about myself and that would be nice for once um, but yeah go ahead and listen to my shit leave a uh, you know a rating and a comment uh, if you will I mean honestly even if you hate this shit I, I'd like to read it because it might be funny um, so yeah go ahead and leave a rating leave a comment um, also if you don't already go ahead and find me on my social media I got Facebook, I got TikTok, I got Twitter, I got um, fucking Instagram. Uh, a lot of shit is getting zucked right now off Facebook, so I also created uh, Collectiva.social, which, if you don't know what that is, fucking me neither, dude. I have no idea how this fucking shit works, and if anyone does, go ahead and DM me and try to teach me, because genuinely, I think it's kind of cool concept and it makes me feel safer than things like Facebook but ultimately I have no fucking clue how it works I might honestly watch some YouTube videos see if there's anything I can find 
But, um, yeah, so there's that. Uh, also, if you like what I have to say, if you like my understanding, my perspective, uh, I also do a blog. Um, uh, so it's just this in written form, you know. So that is annoying question boy, spelled just like that, no caps, no spaces, dot blog spot, B L O G S P O T dot com. Uh, and you'll find me on there. I got a bunch of different stuff. Uh, again, it's basically this, but in written form. Uh, I have YouTube, which whenever I get like steady hours that aren't crazy, I'm going to try to work on, um, which I know I've been saying that for a while, but guess what? I have no free time. So, um, there's that. I really want to start like branching out. I want to start a website uh, where I can kind of like bring all this shit to one place and then also have like a forum based thing that's going on for discussion, you know, kind of get like discord elements built into the website. Um, maybe like a, a, a library source, you know, because I always think that that's cool that some, you know, sites like Midwestern Marks, check out my boy Eddie's uh, website, that's midwesternmarks.com. He's got a library function on there, and they got, like, blog, or not blog, but, like, article posts and shit like that on there that's really, really good. They're going to have a print journal and everything that's coming out. Check out their Patreon. Um, yeah, so that's cool. Um, yeah, so that's it. Um, I might also do a Patreon, but, again, that all depends on my free time, what I end up doing with that free time. Um, yeah, so thanks for listening. Uh, it means a lot. Uh, go ahead and, um, just for me, go ahead and vote for the one true savior of American democracy and society as we know it. Um, fucking. Huh. Would you look at that? It's almost like there's, like, no one that's running for office who is someone that we might want.